Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you excellent and interesting content, from inspiring you to teach or supervise more effectively, to leading and managing your own team, to thinking about creative or humanistic ways to do your work, and finally, to build up your skills in scholarly practice. We welcome you to sit back, listen, and enjoy the latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Femi Ayeni talk about the Notch Academy. He discusses topics such as his journey through mentorship, how he began the Notch Academy, and some past experiences that have helped him address current questions that he has. We hope you enjoy. Welcome everyone. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Femi Ayeni today. Dr. Ayeni is Division Director for Orthopedic Surgery in the Department of Surgery here at McMaster. And there is so much more to his clinical research, community, and academic work here that I want him to be able to share himself. So Dr. Ayeni, welcome to the podcast. And would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm also excited to, to you know, uh, speak with you today. Um, as you mentioned, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I've been in practice now for approaching uh, 14 years. And, um, you know, my medical journey has been uh, vast in going to multiple schools, but I'm very happy to be at McMaster and uh, leading orthopedics. I have a um, you know, practice that really is, uh, you know, uh, close to three and a half to four days of uh, surgical work and clinic work. And then a day and a half on the academic and leadership side. So it's a real good blend at this point of my career to have an academic, a clinical, and also leadership uh, portfolio. And is this a portfolio or the division of the work that you do right now, something that has evolved over time? And do you feel that you had certain milestones along the way that led you to carve out this particular time allotment now? Absolutely. I think, you know, um, most surgeons, when you first start your career, your goal really is to be very good at your craft. You'd like to have happy patients, good results, excellent x-rays. And so there's a time when you do, you know, so-called, you know, put in those thousands of hours and then you become quite good at it. And then naturally your goals then become, how can I impart that knowledge and skill to a learner who can be as proficient? And then when you start to see a lot of clinical problems in, in practice, it drives your research questions. So the evolution was get really good at the surgery, then try to help others get really good at that as well. And then finally, well, what are the questions I haven't, haven't really been solved and can I actually study them in research? And then over time with some research success, how can you then lead an entire division to also follow that pathway? So it really has been an evolution because in year one and two, I wouldn't necessarily think about, you know, research and leading as much as I've evolved into over time. So I tell all the trainees that it does take time to develop your um, specific focus and career and no two careers are the same. And when you think back to the first several years, as you were solidifying your expertise in orthosurgery and then encountering research questions that you want to explore further, Do you recall any particular situations or um, clinical encounters that then 
put you on this path towards research and exploration from that research angle to address these questions? Well, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do also with supportive mentorship because, you know, um, generally speaking, when you have a mentor, um, you can go to that person for questions. It's that whole concept of there is no bad question to ask. You have that safe space where you think, you know, hey, um, if there's something not going as well, even on the research side, a rejection of a project, you know, that's not the end of the world. So you need that person who can really be there. So I would say that I was lucky to be in an environment at that time with uh, Dr. Ben Berry, who was our, you know, uh, division uh, chair at that time to really try and support and drive a lot of the academic endeavors. And so that was the first phase in being successful is having somebody who was leading the division, but also supporting even with a phone call or an email that you could do this. But the clinical encounters that really, um, you know, drove me to ask questions were actually the things where I saw two or three different perspectives. So if I saw somebody or I go to a meeting and they take the debate between two experts because one says don't operate, one says do operate, that to me was actually a question that had to be solved. Or if I saw a patient in clinic where I'd say, well, the literature says you can do it this way or that way, that was the driver of, well, that clearly isn't a defined answer yet. I should study that particular question. I really appreciate you sharing these examples and also sharing about the mentorship component and how vital it is in bringing a research or a clinician into that research world and tying in the important research questions with what's happening in clinical practice. And so hearing about your experience with mentorship, for example, with someone like who your chair, Dr. Bandari, and now moving into your own, you've established your research program, you're prolific in your field, you have a well-established surgical practice, and now you're moving into, or uh, you're in that phase where you're really focused on mentoring others. And this is how, just so that the readers know where Dr. Ayeni and I connected initially, was that I heard about the Notch Academy. And so doing a little bit of research on what the Notch Academy is, I now am seeing the bigger picture in terms of the mentorship that you received, the research questions that you had, and now you're developing this academy that would support others in this journey. So tell me a little bit more about the Notch Academy. I'd love for our listeners to learn more. Well, great, great question. And um, it's a passion project of mine. And, you know, first about the name. So, you know, when you're trying to stimulate growth in a tree or to have an extra branch grow, you notch the main trunk. And so when you sort of notch that, you see a little branch grow. And that's somewhat like you almost have to induce a little bit of a challenge to stimulate growth, right? So you have to notch that tree to stimulate a branch growing. Likewise, you have to really challenge yourself, you know, on a research or even just mentally and, and uh, on, on who you are and ask those tough questions to kind of grow. You have to have that stretch experience where you're not always in your comfort zone. You're not in the middle of the highway all the time. You have to kind of, you know, try and push the dimensions of what you, of who you are to really grow. So the whole, um, tell a story about the Notch Academy is that usually on my drive home over the years, that 40 minutes or so is when I talk to my wife about, you know, how the day went, what the kids are up to and that sort of thing. And so it was a very valuable 40 minutes every day or, you know, most days to have that conversation, the catch-up conversation. When you get home, it's chaotic. 
and four kids. <laughs> so exactly. Uh, you know, we, so over time, I get an email from a trainee who would say, hey, listen, uh, you know, Dr. Ianni, uh, I'd like to have a conversation about starting my research program. And so what I would do was I'd say, okay, well, there is that drive home. Maybe I'll use that because I don't have as much time in the day to, you know, uh, have that conversation. And then it'd be another trainee and then a past fellow and then somebody from another institution. So before I knew it, that drive home that used to be actually catch up time was filled with all these calls describing how to sort of not use a trial and error technique, but to have a programmatic and structured approach to developing your career and doing some research and clinical practice. So I was talking to my wife, she's like, you know, we used to have these chats all the time yeah. and now it's taken up by you advising people. So can't you, and then she asked me, well, are you, what are you telling these people? Like, well, we're just telling them how to get going. And she's like, well, actually I've been in the car once or twice. And the <laughs> advice you're giving is the identical advice over and over again. So why don't you actually develop a program um, where people could, you know, asynchronously learn and sort of have a blueprint and how to develop their careers, both academically and clinically and align and, you know, stimulate their career growth. And hence the notch of, uh, their minds to grow and, uh, you know, putting it together to make sure that the next generation of surgeons, scientists, or clinicians in general doesn't have to be, your, you know, surgically oriented, but just somebody who's looking to grow both dimensions and line things and, and really sort of um, have a concise, digestible way to move through their careers. I love that. I love the analogy of the tree and uh, the notches in the tree. I never knew that. And I'm going to look this up and understand that further. But I also love the uh, details that you shared around how your wife really motivated this, uh, the, the development of this academy and that, that partnership that's involved. So hopefully the, the time that you now have driving home from work yes. can be devoted back to yes, <laughs> a, yes. a catch-up time. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's been very helpful for that. And, and importantly, we've had, you know, several clinicians run through and they're so thankful about their growth. And now they think about things in a more structured and systematic way because it is so challenging. It's, we're all so time challenged, you know, and to sort of go down you know, a pathway and then recognize, oops, I spent three years trying to work on this research program. It wasn't the right one for me. I didn't align with my practice or to go down a practice where it didn't really work with your reading. So really trying to avoid those trial and error strategies and, and avoid some of the pitfalls I've hit in my career and learn the, the sort of shortcuts, but still effective cuts to kind of make your career thrive is the goal of the Notch Academy. Yes. And looking on your website, you offer really concrete supports and in the form of videos and one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentorship. Could you describe a bit more of the experience that someone would get in participating in the Notch Academy? So excellent. So we have a module-based um, program. So when you register for the Notch Academy, for example, you would see that in module one, how to you know establish your career. There are 10 different courses in that module. And so each course usually has about a three to five minute video. So digestible because we're all busy. And at the end of that is a worksheet where you have to do some exercises where you challenge yourself to answer questions about where your career and research is going and how you're developing. So at the completion of watching those 10 videos in that module, 
and completing those 10 worksheets. Now it's time to have the real hard work of discussing with me on a weekly basis um, how you know, you're going to address the challenges from each one of those uh, courses within that module. So you, know, you have the video component, you have the worksheets to work through, essentially homework, and then we have an online platform where we discuss on a live basis on how you're making progress, any questions, any concerns, anything that you sort of are having a stumbling block um, around or about to sort of solve and, and work with a bunch of other experts concurrently. And then finally, you know, if there's a need, then we can have the one-on-one -on -one scheduled time to really, you know, try and do a build out of your career. So, you know, my hope is that, you know, the, every individual that comes through succeeds or at least feels more confident about, you know, going through that process. Um, but I've learned that, you know, one, to make it valuable, you have to challenge yourself. And apart from just sort of digesting what we're seeing in the videos that give you a breakdown of the strategies to make your career thrive, is really working through those worksheets and then actively participating in a platform that is online and discussing with me one-on-one, -on -one, supplemented by the video coaching. And I, I have to say that when I looked at the website, the descriptions that you're providing right now of what the Notch Academy, involvement with the Notch Academy would entail really comes through loud and clear for me. I'll give you one very practical example. On your the front page of your website, you have a video introducing the Notch Academy and it is concise. It is to the point, it is engaging. And I'm thinking to myself at a meta level, you have embodied exactly what you're intending to do in the, in the yeah, participating in the academy. It wasn't a long video that was difficult to follow or not tailored towards the audience that you want to gain. And I thought, this is perfect. You've really thought through the different layers. So what we'll do in this podcast episode is also put a link to the Notch Academy. And so for those listeners that aren't accessing or aren't on uh, the website right now, just knowing that you can look up the Notch Academy and that will lead you to Dr. Ayani's website. Appreciate that. And, and what I've tried to really do is to reverse engineer my career, which is to say, okay, now look at how I am in year you know, uh, 13 slash 14, and then what worked and what did not work. And looking back and saying, okay, these are the critical you know, steps, the critical pieces to build my career up. And I, I wanted it to be, rep, you know, somebody could replicate that without, again, going through the, the trial and error pieces. Many times the phone calls I get are from people who are not getting frustrated because they're now mid-career going, this didn't work and that didn't work. And I go, oh, that's because of this and that. And the, the you know, uh, discussion always centers around, well, I wish I knew that when I started. <laughs> and so trying to you know, really, you know, onboard and get, um, you know, the right pathway started prior to going down, you know, the more challenging pathway, sort of a secondary goal as well. Yeah. And I really appreciate the focus on individualized coaching as well and regular coaching sessions. It seems like you've really taken a individualized approach to the particular situations that each person would be navigating or encountering. But you also alluded to, and tell me if I'm correct in this, that you're looking at this also from a professional or, or perhaps your coaching sessions have also evolved into professional development sessions and extended be, or have extended beyond the particular 
research project goals that someone might have? You sound like somebody who is reading my mind. <laughs> ah, well, I looked at your website. <laughs> no, absolutely. Because, you know, naturally, once you've, and that's just maybe reflective of my evolution as a clinician, which is, you know, you have your good practice, you build it up, you start to ask research questions, you start to write a few papers, you get some notoriety in your field, and then you start to become a leader of a specific organization, or you become asked to lead in the hospital or you're the quality of safety person, or you're the program director. And so now you have to juggle those roles, but you also learn, you know, the diagnostic skills you have clinically are also applicable to how you do research. Your research questioning and how you process information is also applicable to leadership. So a lot of the skills that we develop as, as uh, doctors are applicable in that leadership. And we sometimes, um, you know, have that thought, well, I don't have a specific a graduate degree in leadership, so I may not go on that leadership pathway, but your day-to-day, um, you know, living and day-to-day academic work, those are critical, you know, um, thinking skills and processing skills that you actually employ that are very helpful. Like if you're operating and you have to immediately stop and address a, you know, a bleeder, for example, you're thinking about, okay, stop this, uh, you know, call for help. And, and these are the things that if you have a leadership crisis, you have to, you know, use the temperature of the conversation, bring in expertise outside. So these are the same transferable concepts that, you know, we use every day. So I found that to be helpful to have an analogy. And I'm trying to, again, extend that coaching to say, hey, don't stop at just the details of how to execute a good paper or a good practice. Really put yourself to the next level, which is how do you impact others? Yes, I hear you. And I have to admit that my coaching question about the Notch Academy, there was a bit of a hidden agenda there because there's something else that I know about you that I wanted to share with the listeners. And that is that when I did a search on you, I saw that you also work with the Hamilton Thai Cats. And so I I wanted to end our discussion with a question that is um, extending or extending our conversation about what the Notch Academy can do in terms of one's profession, developing one's professional life and their research career, and ask, what is it like to be, or maybe you can also describe to me what you do with the Hamilton Tie Cats? And then the second part of my question is, what have you learned about leadership and effective team functioning? that you apply to your own work? That's a, a wonderful question that maybe generated a few answers, but mm-hmm. you know, I, um, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon, did some fellowships um, in sports medicine. So I went to Ottawa for my first one and then New York for my second one. So in New York, I was a team physician for the now Brooklyn Nets in the NBA, but back then they were the New Jersey Nets. And so what I really recognized was that, you know, you have a head coach, but you'd have multiple assistant coaches. And a lot of the assistant coaches really were brought on board because on a team of 15 players, certain players had certain communication styles they responded to. And so the head coach may be somebody who speaks a certain way, but then to distill it down, the messenger in a one-to-one basis was the assistant coach to really socialize it and communicate and demonstrated and some people more visual learners, some were more sort of concrete, some were the so-called old school who just wanted to be told this is it and that's all. But I sort of saw the coaching as really one where you had to understand that everybody receives 
um, processes information differently. And you may be speaking what to one team, but the message is received differently across that. So when I came back to Hamilton and I really wanted to get involved in sports medicine, I was approached, which is an honor of a lifetime to join the TICAT organization. Great ownership. Obviously, it's huge in the community of Hamilton and my kids are fans and whatnot. So having um, joined that team as a medical director, my job one is to assemble the medical team because Again, um, you know, it takes more than one physician. It's a team-based approach. We need a team psychiatrist, a team, you know, um, physician who looks day-to-day, some game coverage physicians, an internist for the team. So assembling that team of physicians that really can communicate in a very, very uh, structured way was my task. So after assembling that team, then recognizing that we may have to have strategic duplication of experts who can communicate just like I saw in the professional ranks, whereby you may say to one player, this is injured, and they may say, well, I can still go back in the game. But you may be able to convince that player to take a break if you had a different messaging strategy, right? So I've learned over the years that that communication piece is so vital to get the best out of people at the high performance level and also to prevent future injuries within the same game. So that's sort of my task within the Ticats. And then what I've learned I would say as a critical piece to successful teams is that you have to have this concept of, you know, um, safety, um, which is to say, when you make a suggestion, um, when you make a comment to a coach, you have to feel supported so that you can bring out your innovation, um, essentially your inner view to say, hey, you're doing it this way, but may I suggest you, you know, try this strategy. And if you have an organization like the Ticats where, they completely encourage and reward thinking that is so-called out of the box to solve problems. Then everybody feels they can contribute because there is no wrong answer. I know we say that in medical school and don't worry about the answers. If those are wrong answers, but everybody's still apprehensive. Yes. But actually we live that in our medical culture to say, Hey, whatever suggestion can make us better. Whoever else can communicate differently, bring them on board so we can have an inclusive approach. So that's what I've learned is having that thought process in a team whereby everybody can contribute, everybody can make a suggestion. That really has been so helpful in helping us make progress. Wow, that's incredible. And I'm thinking about your comment around creating creating a safe environment for, let's say, with the Ticats, for the players to come to your medical team and be open and vulnerable about the situations that they're personally experiencing. And I'm wondering, are there any examples that come to mind of how you've been able to uh, see the, the positive response of building psychological safety, not necessarily only with players, but also perhaps with the staff, with the coaching team on the player side, or even your own medical team? Absolutely. I mean, conceptually, you know, we, we you know, have our expertise and we list them down there. Um, but prior to every season, we always say that oftentimes performance on the field is impacted not just by, because at this level, at the highest levels, uh, they can run very fast. They can tackle very well. They can jump for it. They can do all the technical and physical things very well. But who performs on game day and does a great job is fraught by how things are going at home, for example or how things are going with their partners, for example, or other stresses with their children's health. 
So if you strictly focus on, you know, um, the MRI finding and the, you know, um, practice field activities and expecting that to translate directly onto the field without recognizing that there's a whole sphere of life that you don't have access to or see. And if you don't welcome them to present some of the challenges off the field to you, then, you know, you'll have a team whereby there are the question marks about, well, you know, what is happening because somebody may not be responding to physiotherapy as well, or somebody may not be performing as well. Is it a medical issue? And you can do go down the pathway of organizing multiple MRIs, for example, to find really no, you know, finding that's problematic, but then you recognize that, wow, what was really impacting performance was something off the field and that's been bothering them all year that nobody's talked about. So welcoming that to make them, everybody feel safe to say, let me talk about a non-football issue. Let me talk about a personal issue that I think about on the field all the time. And that's been a major, major, major um, addition. And, and we actually are one of the first two teams in the entire league to have, for example, a team psychiatrist and to openly discuss mental health and to openly have a, a session before to say, hey, this is not a sign of weakness to have discussions around this. And I would say, you know, it's been now replicated across the CFL. So this is um, just one other example as to, you know, making individuals feel safe and to build that individual safety, then you get team safety, organizational safety, because also the coaches have to buy into it. The manager has to buy into it, the owner. So when everybody else says, yeah, this is an important part, then the whole organization really supports you and then you all move forward collectively. I really appreciate that example. And what it really brings home for me, Dr. Ayani, is that you take a whole person approach to the work that you do and who you are as a person. And it's come out in the examples and the stories that you've shared. So whether it be with even how the Notch Academy came to be, and that was within the family context of you right. and your wife having this conversation, but mm -hmm. also the Notch Academy itself in aiming not only to meet the very practical needs of researchers who wish to expand or develop their research programs, but also in your mind, you're viewing this as an opportunity to build them up professionally as well as a whole person. Absolutely. And then it just, it was just completely brought it home for me when you were sharing about building psychological safety within these team environments like the Thai cats and how addressing the whole person then helps them to be effective in their respective roles or the individual actions or the individual parts they play within a team. Absolutely. And, and I, that's, that's how I've been so lucky to have had, you know, the, you know, starting off with the support, but, you know, really, you know, engaging the career and, and not really falling into the um, thought process that you have to be one thing in your career. Like you just have to be the surgeon and just focus and just do that. And to recognize that you can be internal medicine, you can be a pediatrician, whatever specialty, you have so many skills and so much to offer on all the experiences. And a lot of what your medical training has you know, done for you is to create the opportunity to grow in multiple areas, whether it is in you know, research, whether it's in leading organizations and setting up a team, being a director of a medical process. And, 
and bringing your own humanity to the process really you know can change the game so i completely agree with you that it has been a process and, and developing the whole person and recognizing the whole person is as important and not simply just segmenting them into just x y clinician researcher that sort of thing exactly yes and i i love that closing statement so i will not elaborate further Thank you so much for being here and for sharing yourself with us and sharing your stories. I've really enjoyed my opportunity to connect with you. And I really look forward as well to seeing how the Notch Academy grows and the many lives that it will impact. I thank you for your time today. It was truly my pleasure and uh, hope you invite me in a year or two to give you an update. Yes, that, that's a great idea. I'm going to keep that part on the recording. So it will give us that uh, reminder to schedule a time in the next year. Love it. Thank you for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's macpfd.ca. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, Ishan Mania Panda, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.